Well, again, I'm so glad that you are uh, joining us in the room, those that are joining us online this morning, because we're talking about uh, once you've come to the decision that Jesus is who he claimed to be, we're talking about living a life that is guided and determined by a core question. And that is, in light of what Jesus has done for me, what does love require of me? As he neared the end of his time on earth, Jesus gave his followers a command that he did not have the authority to give unless he was who he claimed to be. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And right before he gave this command, for those of you that may not be familiar, right before he gave this command, he put on a demonstration. He performed performed an act of one of the lowest servant roles. He took off his rabbinic robes, he knelt down in front of each one of them, and he personally washed their disgusting, dirty feet. And then later that evening and into the next, next day, he would allow himself to be arrested, tried, tortured, and crucified for them and for us. Not because any of us deserved it, but to demonstrate the depth of God's love for us and to provide the needed sacrifice that would make peace between us and God, both now and permanently. And sandwiched in between these two incredible acts of humility and of sacrifice, he doesn't just call us, he commands us as his followers, if we are his follower, to love one another with his kind of love, which is unconditional and sacrificial, which we know to be the best kind of love because that's how we want and hope to be loved, isn't it? But the problem is, for those of us who are, and I prefer the term Jesus follower because the term Christian has become something that can mean whatever you want it to make it mean. As a devoted follower of Jesus, we're trying to be as devoted as we know how to be, and we want to obey, and we want to follow, and we want to do as commanded, but it just feels like we are working against so much. It's like we are struggling and battling against ourselves. We looked at one of my favorite statements in all of the New Testament when Apostle Paul wrote, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, this I do. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And we can all relate to this. It's like I know the good choice. I know what love requires, but I just can't pull it off consistently. And we looked at a conversation last week that Jesus had with his closest followers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this conversation is for you. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then maybe this whole idea is brand new to you. I I hope that this will be helpful in what it looks like and the potential there is to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. This is the way Jesus introduced this concept in his context. He describes, I've got a role to play and you've got a role to play. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you. And that remain in, word remain can also translate into a state of consistent abiding in. If you dwell with, if you stay close, you stay connected to me all the time, and I stay close to you, then you will not bear a little fruit. You will bear a lot of fruit, much fruit. And which is, in this context, means supernatural character growth. Supernatural character change. The growth growth of that thing inside of you that leads you to do what is right, even when it's hard, even when it costs you something, to stick it out, to have perseverance, to increasingly be characterized by a man or a woman of love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because think about it. If you have a son or a daughter, don't you hope they marry someone characterized by these traits? Don't you want your kids or to have kids characterized by these traits? Don't you want to be married to someone that this is a snapshot of who they are? Don't you want to work for or work with people who are characterized by these? Of course you do. We all do. And for most of us, this is how we want to be known. And Jesus is telling us that there is a way. There is a way to experience this, but He is the only way. And not just by praying a prayer one time, which is how a lot of people approach the Christian life. Like, you know, years ago or at one point I believed something and I prayed a prayer and so now I'm good, which is like having a wedding day and then going on and living your life however you want, maybe showing up once in a while, but a wedding does not make a marriage. As we said last week, marriage, especially a good one, requires constant consideration of an intentional investment in, into this other person and into the relationship. And Jesus is saying, it is the, that is like an earthly example of how it's to be with him. It's the same for us and him. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you're not going to be able to do anything. You'll be able to do nothing. Apart from me, you cannot do what love, what my kind of love requires. You can work hard and become a better you, but to become the person that I'm inviting and calling and even commanding you to become, it's just not going to happen. The, the, the question of what does love require of me is a defining question of how we are supposed to treat those around us, the kind of man we're supposed to be, the kind of woman we're supposed to be, the kind of dad or husband or wife or mom you're supposed to be, the kind of friend or roommate or coworker. It's such a powerful question that applies to every human interaction and every human relationship. But here's the problem every single one of us face. What if I don't have what it takes? What if love requires of me more than I can convince myself to give? What if I'm not a good enough person? I mean, one time Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, Jesus isn't calling this to a feeling, like I want you to feel all the love and the affection that I feel for you. This is so much bigger than that. This is Jesus calling you and calling me to decide, to decide to place, it's calling me to decide to place the well-being of you above my own. It's, it's calling me to put your needs above my own, whether I like you or not, whether, whether I, I feel like I can get along with you, whether I feel love for you or not. Jesus says, you want to know how high the bar is? He says, greater love has no one than this, that you would sacrifice, that you would lay down your life for someone else. To which, if we're honest, like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I I can barely respond to a text message in a timely manner to respond, you know, to live for you sacrificially. We'd say, because the problem is, the problem, God, is loving that guy at work or loving that gal, they are annoying They're so annoying. The the problem with me loving that social media friend is their position and posture on this issue or that, or their values are just so offensive to me, or or they're just so stubborn or blind or ignorant or 
God, they're just stupid. They're wrong. It's like trying to argue with a lamppost or my friend or my father-in-law. Their political position, their beliefs are just so stupid and so offensive. When it comes to race or racism or sex and sexuality, my neighbor, my in-law, I like to be around them. I just, I just, I kind of want to punch them in the face. I mean, the hard part is when I try to love him, when I try to love her, I can't. And just so you know, God, it's not my fault. If he wasn't so unlovable, I'd be able to love him. If she wasn't so annoying, I'd be able to love her. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but here's my embarrassing reality. When I look at my ability or inability to love others, my natural response is, I view it as their problem, not mine. See, if I can't love you, that's not my fault. That's your fault, because you're just difficult to love. It's just, there's something about you that makes you unlovable. Maybe like I perceive you as selfish or self-righteous or closed-minded or annoying or too introverted, too extroverted. I don't know you know, just rude or unreliable. Therefore, you're hard to love. And, and you look at me the same way, especially those that work the closest with me here at New Life. They could say, and, and probably do, Chad, when you're doing annoying or frustrating things, you are hard to love. Okay, my wife can confirm this. She's not in the room, but she would confirm it. Uh, you know, you dropped the ball once again, or you said you would do this and you forgot. You didn't follow through, or you just you don't realize how much your words hurt me. You overcommitted yet again, or I feel ignored, I feel devalued by you. And in those moments, Chad, just so you know, you're hard to love. And, and I experience the same dynamic in my own way with other people. But Jesus says, I hate to break it to you, but when it comes to your inability to love, the problem is you, not the other person. And if you're like me, you want to argue with Jesus as if arguing with Jesus does any good. But no, like Jesus, Jesus, do you, do you see how they are? Do, did you see what they did? Did you hear what they said? Did you see what they posted? Do you have any idea how much they have disappointed or betrayed or hurt me by what they did or said? To which Jesus' point is clear and even made more clear that on our own, it is impossible to love others as he has called us to love we have to be connected to him. It's like a branch to a tree. It's like a vine to a vine. I brought a, an example of our modern vine today. Uh, for those of you, I mean, you, you know what it is. Have you ever had one of those moments where like there is, uh, like it's just one of those days, maybe you're traveling, you've got big meetings, you've just got a lot of going on. It's just one of those days where more than normal, you need this to work. And, uh, and inevitably, it, fa it happens that you can't find one of these. And you see your phone is going down. Uh, you find, you know, you're running out of power. It's like, this is, this is going to go out. Jesus says, okay, this is you. Okay, Th this is the branch. And uh, I'm an Android guy. I didn't want the iPhone poor. iPhone people left out, so I got one of those for you guys too. Uh, but so this, this is what we do. Okay, God. The command is to love others. You know, in light of how you've loved us, I am to love other people. So I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. I'm, I'm, I'm connected. You see this? I'm, I'm connected. But my percentage, it's still running out. Things are still running down. This is not, I, I'm running out of things to give. I'm trying to give God. But God, this is not working. 
And who do we blame? The other person. It's like us taking, you know, our dead phone into the cell phone store, whoever your provider is, or taking it to uh, the Genius Bar and going, there's something wrong with this. It's dead. It's just not working. And the employee at the counter is like, well, did you try plugging it in? Yes. You see, I've, I'm, I am attached. I have plugged it in. Okay. Did you, did you actually try to plug it into a source of power? No. But I am, I am plugged in. I have connected I, and it's like I've stretched the vine from over there. So, Jesus, my, my command is that you love one another. Okay, God, I, I, I got this. We have to stay connected to the source of power. We have to stay connected to Jesus. That's his whole point. And Jesus' command is, I have loved you to do love. What love requires, of course you can't do it on your own. You have to have my help. So that's why after I leave, I'm going to send you a helper, which he referred to as the Holy Spirit, that intangible but deeply presence of God's Spirit in you and in your life. The Holy Spirit that if it will dwell in you, if you will abide in and daily stay connected to and plugged into me. So I want you to think about some of the people in your life who feel difficult, if not impossible, to love. Who is it for you? They may be sitting next to you right now. They can be hard to love. Who is it in your life that is just so hard for you to love? My next question is, who is it most important that you love? Who's most important for you to love? See, here's what I know. What I know is that there are people in our lives who it is really important that we love them. But sometimes... It is just so hard. They may even be people that we want to love, and we just feel like it's just, I just, I can't. At least not as much as I want. So who's most impossible, and who's most important? And I want you to just think about those people, because Jesus is going to tell you and tell us, I know it feels really hard, but it's not impossible. It's actually way more possible than you think. Here's what he says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus says, I want you to think of God as the most perfect, infallible dad. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. I, I've taken that love that I've received from my Father, this incredible, perfect love that he's had towards me, and I've simply passed that on to you. And then he gives us this, us this instruction. Now remain. Now remain in my love. He says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you, and now you decide to remain in me to stay close to, to stay tethered, to stay plugged into and anchored to me, to remind yourself to give constant consideration of an intentional investment in the love that I have for you. Now, I want to pause for just a second, because if you grew up in church or you had people in your life that... Uh, you grew up with, they had a positive view of God. You've heard this said. And so I want you to just feel how this phrase feels. Jesus loves me. Even if you're not sure about Jesus, I just want to invite you to, to play along and just repeat this out loud after me. Jesus loves me. One more time. Jesus loves me. Okay, how did that feel? 
No one jumped up and down. Nobody clapped. And we're not clapping church anyways. Nobody clapped. It, you, you, you might not have felt anything. It might be like, yeah, you know, I, I've heard that a thousand times. Like it's been so repeated, it's so redundant, it's so overused, and it loses its meaning. This phrase, Jesus love you, loves you, doesn't have near the power that it should. How many of you have flown in an airplane more than 15 or 20 times in your life? Okay, like how many of you remember the first time you flew? Yeah, so uh, I actually began flying by myself when I was about eight. I was, I was raised old school. Uh, my parents split up. My dad and I moved from Wisconsin to Kansas, here to Wichita. But at least a couple times a year, I'd be taken, off, taken to the airport. I would be handed off to a stewardess back, you know, this pre-9-11. Everybody could go to the gate. I'd be handed off to a stewardess. This was back when it was only women, and they all looked like supermodels. Uh, and they'd get me to this, uh, settled into this great seat, and they would get me captain's wings and airline playing cards. This was back when flying was an experience, and you didn't have to pay, pay for another half inch of leg room. And uh, I always wanted a window seat, and I'd be glued to the window, watching the earth get smaller and think I'm sitting in a chair, and I'm going in the air. And, but then fast forward, now when I fly, like I like get away in advance. I always get an aisle seat because I want to be able to get up and down easy. I want to climb over anybody. I don't care what's happening out the window. And, uh, I, I, and my wife will tell you, like, when I get in, I get my seat. I get my earbuds in. I've got, like, this headband thing that I can pull down over my eyes. It snugs in my earbuds. It blacks everything out. Get buckled in so the, the, the flight attendant doesn't have to get on me. And I just close my eyes, and I just get in that mode, and then we start to taxi out and take off, and then the acceleration just sinks me back in that seat, and I'm about 95% asleep. And then when it takes off, I just push that button, take my seat back a little bit, and I'm out. Sometimes for the rest of, my, rest of the flight. Drives my wife crazy. It's just like, it, it, it's a means to an end. Now, there will be times, like, especially if we're going on a fun adventure, like Sean and I will, will visit, but, uh, you know, other than that, it's just a means to an end, like wake me up when we get there. I mean, when was the last time you saw someone smiling at an airport? I mean, there are definitely a few more since masks are now optional, but, uh, you know, we should all, me included, be like, this is amazing. Like, you're going to California, that must take all day. No, like four hours. I'm sitting in a seat, they're taking me to California, they're going to bring me Starbucks and those delicious Biscoff cookies, which I can eat by the case, but you fly enough times, it just becomes familiar and it loses its impact. Jesus loves you. God loves you. You've heard the verse, John 3.16. We see this at ball games all the time. Even if you don't believe it, you've heard it for God. And you know the next two words. So loved. And I love that the word so is in there. It, couldn't, it could have just been God loved the world, but that wouldn't have captured it. No, God so loved. And what did that level of love lead him to do? It led God to take all of him who created the universe, all of his power and divinity and personability, and he crammed it all down into a human that we call Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua. And he allowed that human to walk around the earth just to show us what he's like and what he thinks of us. And, and Jesus, Yeshua, loves you so much that he allowed himself to be arrested and put on trial. He didn't do anything wrong, but he was put on trial. And in the middle of the trial, he was charged without any accusations that were true. Why did he allow that? Because Jesus loves you. He was 
convicted and they took him out and they beat him. They flogged him with this Roman torture instrument called a cat of nine tails, a big whip with leather straps with a nail or a piece of rock or a piece of glass at the end of each one and they, they whipped him without mercy. This alone killed many people. Why did he endure that? Because Jesus loves you. He was spit on. He was mocked. They took a crown of thorns and they pushed it down on his head, blood dripping down his face. He was up all night, all day, completely exhausted. Why did he allow that? Because Jesus loves you. They laid him on a cross, but before they did that, they decided they were going to crucify him. But they thought, here's a good idea. Let's make him carry his own cross. So they tied this beam to his back like a big railroad tie, and they made him walk through the city where people stood alongside the road and hurled insults at him and mocked him. At what one point, the weight of the cross, combined with his exhaustion, his excruciating pain, it caused him to collapse. Now, when there's a railroad tie tied to your back and you go down, either your face or your chest hits the ground. Why did this happen? Because Jesus loves you. They laid him on a cross and then one by one they nailed his arms and his feet. In the middle of all that, Jesus did the unthinkable. He prayed out loud for his killers as they were killing him. Saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Why did he do that? Because Jesus loves you. And then they lifted him in place to leave him there to die a slow, miserable and death. Why, slow, miserable death. Why in the world would he agree to any of this? Because Jesus loves you. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, that's how I'm loving you. What an unfathomable love. And like I remained in my Father and in His love, you remain in me and my love. Every day, stay close, stay connected to that love. And then he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Now, this is where our English language is insufficient because we read this and it feels conditional, doesn't it? It feels like if I keep his commands, then he loves me. But if I don't keep his commands, he doesn't, which is maybe how a lot of you grew up. It may be how some of you view God today. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm in church, or I'm listening online, God and I are good, I'm being good, God loves me right now, because God is like Santa Claus, He knows when I've been naughty, He knows when I've been nice, and the way I get God's love is by being good, and then when I'm bad, I'm on the naughty list, He doesn't love me, or He may love me, but He doesn't like me, or God knows about last weekend, I'm pretty sure He didn't love me then, or even last night, what I was doing, God knows, I'm pretty sure He did not love me then, but you see, that is simply not true. Because we have to remember the context. Jesus is having this conversation in an upper room where he's about to introduce communion. And this audience that is in this room with Jesus, his closest friends and followers, one has already betrayed him. And in just a few hours, the rest are going to abandon him in his moment of greatest needs. Need One of them was his closest follower and friend who just in a few hours will be intimidated by a middle school age girl and deny even knows him Three times. And Jesus knows this is going to happen. And the third day following the crucifixion, not one of them would be there to greet him because they completely lost hope. They completely abandoned him. And from the moment each of them got invited to follow him, so often they got it wrong. 
And yet, he loved them. And the same is true of you. To choose to keep his commands is not in order to earn his love. We keep his commands because we are loved. Loving others is an expression of God's love for you, not a condition. You don't keep his commands to command to love others and do what love requires so that God will love you. Instead, it is an expression of the love that you have received from God that you channeled to others. And not only that, but God's love is not contingent on your obedience. But your obedience is impossible without God's love. See, God's going to love you whether you keep his commands or not. You can have God's love without keeping his commands, but you cannot keep his commands without having his love. Jesus is saying, that's why I'm telling you. You have to remain in. You plug in. You draw from me what you cannot have otherwise. And let my love remain in you. And if you do that, then that is how you keep my commands. That is how you will be able to love others in a way that not only transforms them, but transforms you. It's a kind of love that can transform any relationship. Once upon a time, it turned an entire nation upside down, and it could do it again. But here is something very important. Until you fully realize how loved you are, how much grace and mercy you've been given, you'll never be able to love others fully. Until you realize, until you become so aware that you let it impact your sense of identity on a deep, deep level, you, you'll never be able to love others fully like you want to or like God wants to. I'm always amazed when I see people receive something so enormous but then fail to pass it on. It's like, how could you be so radically loved like that with an undeserved love and not love others? And I've seen this again and again and again and far too many times to my embarrassment at the guy in the mirror. I've seen it from individuals and even whole church communities who tend to ascribe to a very knowledge-based, intellectual, rule-following faith, which is just a disguise for another law-based relationship with God, busying themselves at pointing fingers at everybody else on how they fall short or are insufficient in their faith or their theological knowledge. And for them, instead of a light, the Bible is a club. And they go around beating people up with this text or this verse or this church father. It's like elevating themselves and see how insufficient your Christianity is. And yet you never see any of this in the Gospels. Though sometimes we do need to be confronted with truth because we are a work in progress. We're so prone to wander, as the old hymn says. And our natural bent is to make decisions contrary to what love requires. But we see consistently in Jesus and throughout the New Testament, there is a humble posture to approaching truth. In fact, Jesus' biggest throwdowns and harshest words were directed at the self-righteous religious elite who elevated themselves at the expense of everyone else. But when you come to realize how much you've been loved and forgiven, really, it'll change your life. It will enable you to love the most difficult people because remaining in God's love allows me to remain aware of what a mess I was and am. When it hits you, it's like, how is this possible? How could anyone, let alone a perfect, powerful, almighty, holy God that transcends space and time, I am so broken, so sinful, so flawed, and yet God loves me, but not like any love I've experienced from anyone else. He loves me perfectly, 
flawlessly, completely, inexhaustibly, and sacrificially. And his promise is that this love for me is never changing, never ending, will not be taken away. And as a result, that love removes all of my excuses for me to not love others and to do what love requires of me. See, every atrocity, every mistreatment of people, every oppression, every genocide, every all racism in human history has its root in its failure to recognize how much God has loved us. Because if I have received the love of God, how could I not then in turn turn around to someone else to make space and to make room for someone who may be nothing like me? It's ridiculous. Yet, will use all kinds of excuses like, well, I can't help it. They're just not that lovable. And God's going, well, you're not that lovable. Well, they're just selfish. Well, you were selfish. Still are in many ways. And I've continued to love you and show you love anyway. They're just so annoying. Well, you're kind of annoying. And I love you anyway. See, the fact that God loved those who are most offensive to him with the most perfect kind of love, removes all of our excuses. But here's the great news. It sets us free. It just frees us. It frees me and it frees you to just love. Whether they pay you back, whether they give it back, whether they make any kind of movement, to just show love. I don't need conditions to be met. I'm just going to show love. It's freeing to just go, you know, I'm not going to try and determine you know, who I love based on whether I think they've deserved it or whether they've earned it. I'm not going to do it because you deserve it or earned it. I'm not going to do it because I think you're going to say thank you or that you will do anything good in return. It's all irrelevant. It's that I can't not do this because Jesus has so unconditionally and sacrificially loved me. So because he loves me in spite of, I'm going to love you in spite of. That's remaining in God's love. That's what empowers me and you to do what love requires. And again, I get it. You want to push back. It's like if, if you knew what they had done, if you knew what they said to me, if you knew the words that came out of their mouth, if you knew who they were behind closed doors and how they treated me or how annoying or how selfish they are, I just, I just can't. I don't have it in me. I've tried. They're just too broken. They're just too messed up. There's something wrong with them. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And as you do, I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to do what you think is impossible. Over time, through you, I'm going to love those who you never thought it was possible to love. Now, let's be really clear. Neither me or Jesus are saying, drop boundaries. We all need boundaries. Maybe you don't need to do business with them. Maybe they don't need to live under the same roof as you. This doesn't necessarily mean suddenly you become best buds and you're hanging out every Friday night. Maybe it does. I'm just telling you, if you remain in His love, it will guide you. His Spirit will guide and empower you to love anyone with that kind of love. But until you understand how fully loved you are, in spite of, you'll never be able to fully love like God has asked you and asked me to love and like you want to love. So this week, as you're interacting with those in your life that are most unlovable, with those you have the hardest time loving, 
with those who are most important for you to love, and you're tempted to go back into that mode of, of blaming your inability to love them on them, I just want you to remember that Jesus loves even you. When you look at their quirks, their shortcomings, their annoyances, the way they fall short, I want you to remember Jesus, he loves me with all of my quirks and my shortcomings and my annoyances and the ways that I have hurt others. others. So how can I not make room for you?